Hello, thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. For network or show information, visit byteradio.me or call 843-808-0777. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guests are Don and Gina Grodoff, and we will be talking about their business, Focused Healthy Family, and OCD in Children. In one night, Gina, Don, and their family's lives were changed when the beast of OCD invaded their house. It was a time that nearly tore their relationships and lives apart. Just when they thought the beast had gone, it returned to capture another child, and the struggle began again. Gina and Don have taken those horrendous challenges and turned them into opportunities for other families to help other families going through similar struggles. Gina has more than 25 years as an occupational therapist, assesses the whole family, parents, and children looking for the environment, nutrition, health, and emotional state. Her work in the practice includes sensory conditioning, exercise work, personality inventory evaluation, and communication training. Don has more than 15 years of training and experience and holds a certificate from the Association for the Advancement of Meridian Energy Techniques in Emotional Freedom Techniques. Through his coaching work, Don helps people deal with emotional blocks and challenges. For more information, you can visit their website, which is www.focusedhealthyfamily.com. Now, with that, I'd like to welcome Don and Gina to the show. Good day. Hello there. Hello. Well, I'm happy to have you here today and, and talking about uh, family and, and children, OCD and anxiety. Those are all kinds of things that a, a lot of families are going through right now. So. Um, thank you for your time today. Um, I guess the, the first place I'd like to start um, with, with whomever, how did you or what led you to decide to work with families? Well, uh, you kind of read our story there about what happened with mm-hmm. us. And just feeling, you know, in a lot of the places that we were at during that time was places of hopelessness. And it's not a, it's not a, fun place to be at at all and we just feel for other families we know there's a lot of them going through that uh, with with OCD but also with other anxieties and well even now with what's going on with the the pandemic stuff that uh, we know there's other families that are are suffering like what we went through and we believe we've found some different ways to help them to get through that and want to help them to do that. Great. So I want to, and, and we will talk about the the pandemic and, and that's impact on on children right now. But let's first start with OCD. Can you explain to the listeners what that is? Okay. OCD is a obsessive compulsive disorder. It's a mental health disorder, just like depression and anxiety and and other mental health issues. It is an anxiety disorder, um, and it is not a personality type or trait. People say, I'm so OCD, and all that, what they're saying is their 
compulsive or they're obsessive in having things neat and organized. So the disorder is when you have an obsessive thought um, that's either a rational thought taken to an irrational level or an irrational thought um, and the need to follow compulsions to think, you know, keep something bad or terrible from happening. Um, and dealing with that interferes with their daily functioning, just, you know, getting up, getting ready, going to school, interacting with people. Um, so there's different degrees of how much it interferes with life. Yeah, so the, the fact that if, I mean, so there's a difference between just compulsive or, or some kind of a, a compulsive act versus a disorder, correct? Because a lot of people out there think, well, we'll get to that point of like, I need to, you know, make sure that this happens in this particular way. Right. And it's, it's a disorder. So it's taken, you know, to the event that it is interfering with your life. It's like if someone in our life dies, we're sad, we may be depressed for a while, but that's not clinical depression. So clinical depression is when it's oh. interfering with function and being able to, you know, get out there and take care of things. So again, this is taken to a level um, and, and that that it's really interfering with how they function. Um, it's it's also, I mean, you kind of think about how long they, they spend on the worry and the fear. You know, somebody that's mm. an organizational thing, they'll, they might worry about it for 10, 15 minutes, but somebody with OCD can spend hours fretting over it over it. An example, you know, we might leave the house and think, did I turn the stove off? And we might go back <laughs> and check one. <laughs> uh, I can relate. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was asking. <laughs> um, someone with OCD is going to go back in the house and check and go back in the house and check again. It, you know, it, and they could spend so much uh, time checking. They're late to work. You know, they could drive halfway to work and have the need to turn around and come home. So it's, it's taken to that irrational level. Um, and and the, the thing about it is that they're really odd, you know, thoughts and compulsions. Uh, you know, I, I, mm. I, this is a client of mine, but I heard a story of a person that every time they ran over a speed bump, they'd have to stop, go back, and make sure it wasn't a person that they ran over. Oh, wow. <laughs> and wow. Multiple, multiple, every, every bump they would stop. You know, so that you can imagine the time that would take, especially in our city with the bumps. <laughs> oh, exactly. I, was, I know a couple of neighborhoods that um, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to get out of the neighborhood. <laughs> if that were the yeah. Case. yeah, exactly. So now, um, is OCD a a learned? I mean, is this something that is learned, or is this um, something that? may have its roots in either biology or genetics? Yeah, so it's it's a disorder, so it's a malfunctioning of our brain and our processing. Um, one way to look at it is like junk mail. You know, we all have junk thoughts. We think something and we're like, you know, I'm not paying attention to that. Kind of like when you take the mail in, you go through stuff, you know, this is junk mail, I can throw this out. Someone with OCD mm. cannot throw out junk thoughts. They stay fixated on them. So it's a chemical imbalance in the brain. You know, it's, it's not um, caused by environment. There are triggers that can kind of set it off. Um, but it's really an illness, even if you look at cancer, you know, your lifestyle doesn't cause cancer, but there's things that can trigger it, that can mm -hmm. accelerate it instead of it. Um, 
if that makes sense. Well, I just recently yeah. saw, I, th- I think this came off of the International OCD Foundation site, but they gave an example of if you think about a mosquito bite, um, and, you know, with a mosquito bite, you itch it, it feels good while you're itching it. You know, it kind of solves the itch. But as soon as you stop, it actually gets worse. And that's kind of the way uh, compulsion is. You know, it'll make the, the thought stop at least temporarily, but it really makes it worse. And so they, they just have to keep itching more and more and more and more to get it to, to stop, you know, the thought to stop. Okay. Wow. So now with kids, how do, I mean, is, is this something that shows up in childhood early or is this something that can even be an onset, like, like you said, sometimes is triggered? Yeah, I mean, as a childhood or young adult onset, it can be at all different ages. It can be as young as, you know, a toddler or preschooler, and it can be someone in early adulthood. A lot of times it can go undiagnosed for quite a while. Um, I know Dom's had clients come to him as adults and realizing they've been suffering this for a while, but just kind of managing and um, compensating. It also has a sudden onset effect, which kind of leads it into a different place called pans or pandas, um, which takes down another whole different road, but it's, it becomes more of an uh, immune deficiency, immune well, well, yeah. disorder at that point. It, well, it's pediatric autoimmune onset disorder, and so there's actually a cause, a, a bacteria or an infection that triggers this um, response in the brain for it to malfunction. Um, and it, it, that's what happened in our case. It was this, I mean, sudden one night, all of a sudden, boom, kind of thing that uh, it went on. So it, there's that side of it, too. It can, yeah, it can look like that. It can also look a little more um, gradual. Sorry, sorry about that, Donna Gina. My uh, switchboard decided to hang up on me for some reason. Oh, <laughs> I thought that was rude of it to hang up on me. <laughs> so, but um, anyway, we're here. Um, so sorry, but so so it, it um, so it, it just showed up. Now, um, how, at that particular time, were you, since you have the train the background training, was it something that you readily recognized as being OCD? So. I had mental health training as an occupational therapist. I wasn't actively working on that area of focus. Um, mm-hmm. In the aspects of occupational therapy, there was a mental health component. So I had had the training in school. I had the general concepts and ideas um, and understanding from a health professional point of view. Don was not yet working with people in that area no, at all. No. So, but it, it caught us both kind of off guard. It still did. Part of it being that misconception that, Someone with OCD is a compulsive, organized person that needs to have all things right. Um, I actually had a friend who has OCD suggest when our first child was overwashing her hands that it could be OCD. And my first thought was, no, you know, she's the easygoing, carefree child. That couldn't be her. Um, And then the more I researched and stuff, and I realized it was very wrong that um, that, in fact, is what we were dealing with. So there was a little bit of a... um, 
denial in the beginning is what we were dealing with. Well, yeah, and this yeah. is very hard to find resources and figure out. It, that took a lot of time just to kind of figure out, first of all, what it was, and then finding out who to turn to, where to go, all of that. Again, kind of goes back to your question about you know, why we decided to do this is, you know, there just isn't the resources for it, and people don't really realize what's going on. And so that's we wanted to be that resource, too, to be able to know not just us, but where to turn to, what therapists work with it, how, you know, where you can go, what kind of things that, that are available. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you pointed out the fact that the um, – the idea is it, it was a compulsive behavior, and that it, you know, because whenever I thought of OCD, I mean, I I thought the the stereotypical, you know, things in order. I mean, and I've known quite a few people who, uh, I mean, I know one one you know woman who spent years as a nurse, but I mean, she like documented every phone call that she got and, and the length of the call, who it was from, even if it was, you know, from someone like 10 minutes ago. So it was, I mean, I just thought it was excessive, you know, I mean, but that's just my particular view. So now when, when you see someone exhibiting some kind of compulsive behavior, is there um, how would you um, recommend um, an observer um, react? You know, because I, the reason I'm asking is like with, with her, you know, one of the things, again, this is something that I certainly wouldn't do, but it's something that she does. And I, you know, I had to catch myself a couple of times judging, you know, um, the behavior. And, and so what, could you say to the listeners who um, have someone who has um, obsessive compulsive disorder or behavior, and how would you um, let them or instruct them to um, to deal with it or you know to, to interact with that? I think observation is one thing to think about, and one thing is that they need to write everything down, and keep track of things, and if they're functioning in their life, you know they have mm-hmm. relationships with. They're able to do their job, you know, reasonably well. Um, then they just have the need to be organized, and it's really not a disorder. Versus mm-hmm. someone when you see behavior issues, um, it's a big um, telltale sign. Um, but people who are late to work or skipping days of work or not, you know, if it's interfering with their life, then it's important to kind of look down the road and have them go to somebody professionally to see if that, you know. Is there really, is it to the point of a disorder? Well, and that also, the, yeah. you know, does that person, can she stop, you know, can she not do that and not get anxiety over it? And mm-hmm. does she fret over it for, you know, for a long period of time versus, you know, she just does that and it's okay if it isn't perfect, but, you know, so I, you kind of have to observe them a little bit as far as how they, how they do, how they do work with it. You know, if it, like you said, if it's interfering with their life and if they're taking, you know, hours to do it, and uh, yeah, that's probably more of a sign of it. Okay, yeah, because um, you know, in, in, I think the key from what you're saying is is that how much does it impact the quality of the person's life I, to the 
to maybe that detriment, you know, how does it impact? That's when it kind of moves from um, just a, a, like a simple behavior to something that really could um, use attention. Right, yes. right. Okay. So, and, and just by the way, with, with that woman, she did get very anxious <laughs> when, you know, uh, like, like for example, if, if there was a phone call and maybe accidentally deleted, it, it would bother her for hours. <laughs> I mean, a long okay. time. Yeah. So, so I was, I'm kind of um, comforting in, in the fact that I, that's what I thought it was, but I, you know, I wasn't sure. Um, wow. So, what was your, you know, the daughter who um, had had C OCD? What was a typical day like with her? What were some of the oh. things that, that you experienced? I don't know if you could say typical. Either. Yeah. With her, I mean, her onset, suddenly she didn't like the feel of the floor. It felt dirty to her. We had a whole ritual. Um, and, and in stages, you know, there's mild, moderate, and severe OCD. And um, with with her, it got it, it was a fear of germs, and so she could spend two mm. or three hours her hands at its worst. Um, she often took more than one shower a day. She had the need to wash clothing and things if it touched something she thought was dirty. Um, so when things were really heightened and, and, and really at a severe point, um, was- most of our day was just spent trying to get go through the day, get fed, and get to sleep at night. Um, yeah, it's wow. exhausting. Yeah, there was a lot of um, it, it, it. They got a lot of battle, battles, which I, you know, not real. Uh, there were times when it was really tough. I mean, it would go on for into the night, and she got a lot of anger to her, a lot, and some violence, uh, which you know, part of that we found was we had to kind of change her diet to help bring some of that down. But yeah, it was uh, you know two, three in the morning sometimes. And, uh, and and in a different scenario, when it's not that severe, you know, getting a child out the door, and if they have the, one obsessive thought could be, you know, um, you know, I went to the bathroom, my hands weren't clean enough, and they go back to wash their hands again, and so this could go on for a while, and, and you could be a half hour, an hour late to where you're going. Um, yeah, and I, when and, you know they want to do the compulsion because then they feel it's better. Yet the more they do it, the more they reinforces that idea. Um, and then like, all of this is, you know, causing anxiety in them. So with kids, they can have meltdowns and tantrums because they, it's really a sense of feeling out of control, which kids already feel because there's external control from adults in their lives. Um, well, and I always tell people it kind of closed our life down. We, you know, we didn't, you know, I gave up extracurricular activities. I was, I was involved in scouts and had to back out a lot of that and, her daughter backed out of having to do dance and scout for herself. Yeah, it interfered you know. with her being able to participate in the activities she enjoyed. We kind of went, we kind of mm. went through the day, you know, just eat, work, possibly sleep, possibly you know as much sleep as we could get. Um, so mm-hmm. it was it was a, kind of a struggle just to survive. Wow, um, you know, and I mean, I can see. You know the impact. Um, you know when you, when you were talking about the OCD and how a measure of it is how it impacts the individual's quality 
of life, but also the fact, I mean, what you're talking about now is it's not only affecting their quality of life, but it's also impacting the family unit in, in everyone else's life. Exactly. And, you know, we took her to a professional therapist who specialized in OCD to get her the help she needed and get through that. And part of the reason we developed our program was, you know, this really does impact the whole family. Um, and realizing, you know, that the whole family has got to work together. Um, um, well, I mean, it, you, you find that really with any disorder. I mean, OCD, yes, but also just about any of them. You know, it, the, the person who, who suffers from it suffers bad, but the people around them suffer pretty strong too. And, and anxiety, there's, you know, the kids, the other kids that, that our other kids suffered from lack of attention because, uh, you know, our daughter at the time pulled all of, just about all of our attention constantly. And so mm. they, they felt deprived of our attention, you know, and we tried our best. I mean, it wasn't that we right. just gave but um, it, was, it was almost demanded of us, and it was hard not to do it because she, she would follow us around demanding the, the attention. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I can see, I mean, you know, the family dynamic would be severely impacted. Um, and, and before we kind of go back to the family, since you were talking about that compulsion of germs and washing hands, I mean, right now we're in the, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic aspect. And one of the things that we're, you know, we're telling everyone is washing hands, you know, and um, so with children, what would you say as far as um, helping children? I mean, because right now, I mean, obviously they may not have, you know, um, OCD or that kind of thing, but anxiety would certainly pop up with such huge um, interruptions to family right now. What 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 are you seeing as far as um, the impact on children? right now, and um, for parents, what would be some um, tips for helping deal with what may be an anxious time for children? Okay. One thing, um, if a child does have tendencies or the susceptibility actually having the disorder of OCD, they're going to be thinking about that hand washing a lot. Um, If you have to Mm -hmm. remind your child to wash their hands, you know, and, and again, that's only one manifestation of OCD. Um, right. It can certainly heighten it. You know, I, our younger child who suffers with OCD as well, you know, right now they're hearing this message about washing their hands. That's right. A friend told them you should wash every 20 minutes, and we're just like, oh, my God, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Gallons of soap through this because we're already overdoing um, it. Right. So it definitely it exaggerates that. I think kids can have fears with this. And, you know, that's what part of our program is about communication and stopping and listening to kids and knowing what's, what's bothering them about the situation. Because the way we think about it might be completely different than how a child is looking at this situation. Um, you know, there's kids out there who think you could just catch it sitting in your house all by yourself, that it's, mm-hmm. you know, going to invade you or whatever. Um, and, um, you know, having that conversation with them, you know, asking them what their understanding of it is because kids can mishear things and, and take it to an extreme without us realizing what's going on. Um, well, and I think with the OCD, I think 
you don't want to stop the now we haven't really talked about it but one of the, what we did and what one of the best treatments for it is thing called ERP exposure response prevention and you don't want to stop doing that during this time you know if you're working with somebody with OCD and you're using this treatment you still want to proceed with it as, as normal you don't want to change that because of this um, because they're going to wash their hands if they're if washing hands is an issue for they're going to wash your hands plenty too much actually but um, so you want to continue with that um, ERP treatment uh, if you're in the if you're in the middle of it or just starting it or whatever you want to continue don't want to stop because of this and it's important to go to a professional who's familiar with that um, if you know you um, you know, someone your loved one has OCD that it's, it's and the OCD foundation website is a great resource to find providers and information about them. Cool. great yeah so um, so we're we're not we're not um, creating <laughs> compulsive behaviors are we by, by stressing that um, so compulsive disorder I'm sure exists across um, countries and things um, and again it can manifest differently it can be that thought that I you know I ran over somebody it, it, it can be you know that I hurt somebody um, so it's not just hand washing right it's not just cleanliness but I've always wondered myself in our society because we are very fixated on hand washing if it's not um, manifesting in that form I think the anxiety would be there in a different form because our mm -hmm. culture is very rooted in that idea to begin with. I've always wondered uh, it doesn't exaggerate that component. I think if that was not part of our culture, that it might show up in a different way. Okay. Okay. I, I, that makes sense. That makes sense. So now how did you, um, did you use the ERP to get your daughter I guess out of the OCD, or how, what would the, the so we went, phrasing be? Well, so we, we went on the, the OCD Foundation website, and we found a therapist who specialized it, and actually they even gave insurance what insurance they took. And so we didn't know anything about it until we brought our child to this therapist. Um, and so she gave us the information and the resources, and then we started researching it on our own as well. There's books out there and all kinds of information um, and so she, she pretty much, you know, worked with our daughter weekly, but then gave us assignments, you know, that we did with her. Um, what what it's what ERP kind of stands for is is first you you, you want to methodically uh, expose them to it, what triggers them. So whatever it is that that causes them to go into the compulsions, you want to. Slowly, but and I, I I want to use the word methodical and slow because it's very important to do it slowly. It's not a quick thing, but you expose them mm -hmm. to the trigger, and, it, and by exposing them and getting to where it becomes the non-trigger, so that they then um, respond differently to it, and by responding differently, it will prevent it from being a trigger in the future. That's the kind of theory behind. Kind of retraining the wiring in the brain that thinks um, you know, something terrible is going to happen because of this and, and sitting with it and finding out, okay, something terrible isn't going to happen. So with our daughter, there, we wrote down the things that triggered her, and then we rated them 1 to 10, and being this what were, really... Yeah. You know, what, were the, so, what were a couple examples of that? I'm just curious. What were some examples of triggers? 
car door. So she had a fear that anybody who touched anything, somebody who smoked, was contaminated. Um, Hmm. So therefore, anything out in the public, um, even something that was like a library book that could have been touched by someone who smoked. Well, that that, that chain was rather long, too. It could have been a brother of somebody who knew somebody who lived down the street from somebody, you know, so it, it was a very thing mm. that went around. So we had the list of things she wouldn't touch. Um, when it was at its worst, it was the car door, the door to the house, um, well, you know, the, the, the couch people. So initially <laughs> we made the, the list and, and it wasn't, it wasn't, so, you know, it, it got to that point, but early on when we did it, it was more simple things. And what we worked on was the easier things first, the things that had a lower anxiety number to them um, to make it manageable because you can't push someone into where it's a 10 anxiety to work through that. Well, like the door handles, we would, the very first step was to take a picture of the door handles, not even go near it or or look at it, but a picture of it. And she had to stand and look at the picture. And of course she would stand there and she would go, I can't do this. And she would just really, and she had to do that over and over until she could look at the picture without any anxiety. And then we moved to the next step, which means standing across like the driveway and just looking from a distance at the door. And so it was just a slow movement, closer and closer and closer. And then, you know, then putting just the tip of a finger on the edge of the door and holding it. Mm. So it, and again, that was that a severe, you know, yeah. a child who's obsessing with washing right. their hands okay, we're going to limit the time you spend. You know, we're going to stop after 20 minutes or wherever you're at, and then we're going to slowly back it up. Um, and then yeah. sit with the, the anxiety as it flares up right. you know, because of that. So it's, yeah, it's a, and it, it can look very oh. different. For different. And I, you know, yeah. I wanted to, in their talking about therapists, is to really emphasize the fact of finding a therapist that really knows about OCD, not to somebody that says, oh, yeah, we dealt with it. So they have to really understand ERP. They have to understand OCD. You really want somebody like that to work with. And, and what we do is then coach along with that. We, we help them, once they set up a plan for the ERP, we help them on a regular basis, where the therapist, working with the therapist and helping them to get through it. Okay, that makes sense. Now, you said like at the height or at its worst, did, was there, um, did you have a, um, was there a noticeable progression, you know, where it's, you know, kind of started as one thing and then kind of grew and grew maybe after being even unintentionally reinforced that, um, or, or was it something that was kind of always there, but, you know, the, it was a late trigger, so to speak, you know. Suddenness happened, she was eight. And when we looked back, we could see signs of it earlier, and we didn't realize okay. it was mm-hmm. um, she She became very fearful. She also had a fear of being poisoned. We just didn't eat. We picked up some fast food that she normally would eat, and she didn't eat it. Um, the increased time in the bathroom with the rushing her hands um, can very much come up silently. And, you, like, you may not realize how much you're contributing to it, um, you know, um, well, then we started with the ERP, we started with the therapist, and things were going pretty well. We were doing the slow, methodical, and one day, and this was my partly, I'd say my, my fault, but one day um, we were doing really good. I mean, she was, 
she was actually advancing and, and doing things a little bit faster. You know, instead of just looking at something, she would touch it. And mm-hmm. we were dealing with library book, and she went through the process and got to a point where she just grabbed the book and said and held it and had this big smile on her face. We were dancing around going, you did it, you, you know, we touched it now. And um, what we didn't realize in doing that, we were doing what they call kind of almost like a flooding, which was jumping right to, you know, grabbing it. Kind the, of hard the next day, it flared up. I mean, OCD came back with a vengeance. And at that point, she, she got on their couch in that where she lived for about, about eight months, I guess. Not eight months. Six months, maybe. She lived where she couldn't touch anything, including us. We touch her, she couldn't. And, you know, as a, as a parent, not to be able to touch your daughter when she's at yeah. her worst is, is, is heartbreaking. I would think so. I would think so. And, and you know, that's interesting that, um, you know, that you, well, you talked about flooding. I mean, that's – I wouldn't have thought that um, – that would, for as a parent, I would I would have <laughs> been like you folks celebrating that and and thinking you got through it already and, and not recognizing that um, there could be a a boomerang effect kind of going back even maybe further down that rabbit hole than you were before. Right, exactly. Well, it tends to come to change as it is anyway. Once you resolve one thing, it tends to find a little different twist to it or a different. You know, compulsion or something like that to kind of replace it, in other words. Yeah, because the, mm. the science behind it is, you know, in our brain, messages get sent from one um, neuron to another. And with OCD, um, the serotonin that's supposed to pass, you know, from the message from one to another gets interrupted. And so if that process is still going on in the brain, you, you might resolve this issue, but then this issue is going to pop up. Um, and because it's really a retraining that brain to calm that, that down so you can see, okay, we handled this issue. We don't have issues with books anymore, but all of a sudden we have issues with something else completely. Um, yeah. But, but it's, it's wow. very important that you're working with a trained professional that really knows and has experience um, to help you through it. Yeah, it sounds like it. Now, you said that uh, a second child had also um, OCD aspects. What what was what did that look like? Was it similar uh, kind of compulsions as your daughter, or, or was it a whole different set? There's a seven-year age gap between these two kids. There are second and third okay. children. And um, this, the last child showed signs as a toddler, and it was hard. We even talked with our other daughter's therapist, you know, how much of this is copying behavior, copying her sister. Mm-hmm. And even she was. She wasn't sure. She didn't typically work with very young children because it is OCD is found in young children. So initially, you know, she wasn't even sure herself, as, you know, as well. Um, and, and then there's the added component of the trauma effect that when our daughter, the older daughter, had this sudden onset mm. of it, the other sibling, well, when it first happened, she was one. So there was this uh, the traumatic influence of it, which things can be triggers for OCD. She already had that tendency, you know, with her brain, and that could have kind of fired it along. Yeah, there were quite a few nights of, uh, you know, one o'clock in the morning, the door of our bedroom slamming open and her jumping around, yelling and screaming and waking 
the youngest one up, you know, screaming, not knowing, frightened. So we mm-hmm. think some of that, some of that plays into it. Could too. be a trigger for it, but so yeah, so it was very. Even though we thought we understood it, and even as we, you know, really helped our older child get through it, and working with the therapist and all the other things we did, um, still, you know, it looks differently in every child. And <laughs> so initially, we we thought we were dealing with it. Um, um, and with our younger child, there's like other anxiety components as well as the OCD. So that, kind of, you know, there can be other diagnoses and other issues going on too that kind of complicate um, the picture. It was kind of like a, a whole new ball game in a way. You know, we had to kind of relearn ERP for, to adjust it for for her. And uh, wow, yes, yeah, that's the the one thing that. Um, that I was real curious about, you know, because as parents, you know, you um, obviously you do your best with what you know, and and sometimes um, if you're not aware of, you know, of certain behaviors and, and their um, destructive nature, I guess, you know, that, that um, you really wanted to make sure you don't, agitate it or, you know, you don't, um, you know, add on to it. So, I mean, it would be, as a parent, I would think that it would be particularly difficult to, to, I don't know, well, to recognize your role, you know, in, in com- combating that behavior. Right. And I mean, most parents come to us that we work with now, they come to us with the behavior, describing the behavior problem in the child. Um mm-hmm. And OCD can be very much misdiagnosed and underdiagnosed. Parents might go to the extreme of compensating so much for the child that they're actually feeding and fueling that anxiety disorder. Or they can, you know, be trying to manage the child and telling them, you know, that's crazy, don't do this, and over, um, you know, not paying attention to it at all. Um, And and using discipline and thinking it's a behavior problem. and so you get those kind of two ends of the issue going on. But to me, there's always an underlying thing. Kids don't just have behavior issues just to have behavior issues. Their goal is not to aggravate their parent. There's always something, there's a reason for a, that behavior. It, yeah. There's an underlying cause. And so that's when we work with parents, we're kind of looking at, okay, what, what's going on deeper here? What are the triggers? What things are com- creating this problem? I also, I, I kind of developed this idea and based, I mean, Gina helped me to learn this, but uh, I believe in a thing called the compassionate coach is what the, the parents, want, at least one of the parents needs to be, you know, being able to, uh, I think, like I said, Gina kind of helped me to realize that, you know, when I my daughter was coming at us with this vicious kind of way that she'd always remind me, you've got to remember your daughter's inside there. And mm. you know, beast, I call it the beast or bully of OCD, is almost kind of like separating them out a little bit and understanding that we still have to deal with this with some compassion too. Uh, and I think that's very important. That's why we teach a lot about communication with to parents too, because that's extremely important. Compa- communication can be a, a anxiety driver or a reducer, and we really want it to be the reducer part of it. Yeah, yeah, I, I could see um, where, where that, you know, particularly if you're dealing with, you know, behavior that's, um, I mean, just, um, you know, destructive, you know, to, to the, to the child, um, or to the family unit, you know, that, 
when when you get to that point, you're um, at the end of your rope, so so to speak, you know. And um, and it, that compassion can can be tempered a little bit, I think, maybe that uh, when it comes to you know dealing with the issue. Well, I mean, you know, two o'clock in the morning, you're tired, mm-hmm. and, and that's one of the things I think was really good for us is that we kind of played tag team in a way. Uh, you know, I would I would bat, you know do the battling for a couple of hours or whatever, and um, I'd have to go to Dean and say, I'm exhausted. I, I need you to step in. And actually, right. in a way, it was because she would come in with a different energy, and it actually would tend to down, you know. Yeah, because as a, as a parent of the child, you know, it's, it's hard not to take it personally and get emotionally involved in it versus, you know, when you're going to a professional, you know, right. you can stay calm and focused in addressing the issues. So, um, yeah, it's extra challenging part of it. I bet. So now how did you folks pull your family together? I mean, how, how did you come out of that? Was, now, did you have both of those? I mean, with the seven-year difference, did you have both of them? Were you going through working with both at the same time? I mean, was this something that was going on simultaneously with both children, or was there a period, a break? So um, so we have three children. Um, we had the 12-year-old, um, our 8-year-old daughter, who, when she, that was when we knew it was, you know, we identified it as OCD when it became very severe. And, um, and then her, the younger sister was one. Um, and so initially we were trying to get help and manage, and it took us a little bit to lead to even getting the therapist. Um, so once we got the therapist with the ERP, then we had a focus of what to work on. Um, the relationship between her and her older brother, it was, tumultuous for quite a while and it wasn't until we had really gotten to the point where her OCD was much more manageable that we were then able to tackle working on the communication with her and her older sibling to help that relationship so it was a very slow (laughs) and this is part of the reason that we want to reach out to families before it gets to that severe point you know to Mm -hmm. identify issues from because the earlier you, you start working with it you know then you can address it much sooner and it doesn't always have to become so severe. Um, well, and then understanding that OCD is not what we would call curable. It's manageable. You get, and then mm. I think we had the, uh, our older daughter manage at a manageable place when the, the youngest one started. So, uh, yeah, I just want people to understand that it's very livable. I mean, there are people that live like our daughter, lives a full life. I mean, she's, she does all the things she needs to do, so it's manageable for her. And and once you get into doing the therapy, you get to that point, um, you know, that you can, okay, it's still there, and she still goes to the therapist, um, but it's much more in check and in balance. And, and, uh, she handles it better, you know. Instead of uh, yeah. going crazy on that trigger, she'll, she'll sometimes look at something and say, look, that bothers me. I don't really want to be around that right now, and she'll walk away or you know, let us know. And so that, to me, that's very manageable compared to going crazy over it or freaking out over it. <laughs> it is. It is. Well, I mean, it's one of those things where, I mean, it, it's good to know that it's manageable and, and be able to um, 
being able to use different techniques. Now, I understand, um, Don, your your work, as I mentioned in the inter introduction, you use um, EFT or the emotional freedom techniques. Um, is this something that you use with um, with OCD? Can you, first of all, can you explain to listeners who may not know what EFT is? Can you explain to them what it is, and then how would how is it that you use it in your your work with families? Sure. Um, EFT, of course, emotional freedom techniques. Uh, it, better known, most people know it as EFT tapping, and it's a it's a process of uh, very similar, actually, to acupuncture in a way. Acupuncture works on energy change, um, but instead of needles, we use tapping on uh, points of the body to help calm the fight or flight and and release the negative messages uh, in that. That hold us in the anxiety. So we're we're using a tapping process with our fingers tapping on different points of the pressure points of the body to help bring down anxiety. Um, and what I do with um, with EFT uh, with the, like the ERP and dealing with OCD is for one for the, the the other members of the family because the anxiety like we we just talked about is very high. Uh, we use it to help teach them because it's something that that they can do themselves. You, you can, I, I teach them through, through the process of how to do it, and they, they can use it to help bring down their own anxiety. And then what I've I found is combining it in with the ERP, um, that there's a couple different ways to be able to use it with ERP, because as we talked about, you know, they have to look at the trigger, and it raises anxiety in them. And what, what this can do is, is use the EFT to help bring down that anxiety faster so that they can get through it a little quicker than the normal. Um, so, you know, as they, like I said, we, as she looked at that picture, we, we would do some EFT work process of bringing that anxiety down. So it, it was very effective, and again, for us as a, as a couple, as our, for ourselves, for our family, and specifically for the OCD person. Yeah, you know, so you taught your children to do that themselves so so in a way empowering them to do that themselves so yeah i mean we were learning eft both of us were um from the time our daughter was pretty young and the whole you know don working this together as a program that didn't happen until later but we did use that tool for helping anxiety um when our daughter was first going through stuff just in general to help calm their anxiety down so yeah we taught the kids the tool it's something you can teach anybody kids can do it um yeah it's it's um, well it's you can do it on the child you can do it on somebody if they're willing if they're agreed to that um, yeah well like for instance when my daughter couldn't touch her herself or us i had to do it in what we call a surrogate manner and uh, it's a little bit of explanation to that, but uh, it's a way of tapping from on myself for them. And like I said, we I could see her go from you know being on the roof in anxiety to almost asleep um, no. in, in a matter of few minutes sometimes. And so it uh, it was it was a very effective tool for us. Uh, and it wasn't the only tool we used. I mean, ERP, EFT. Mm -hmm. We did hypnotherapy. Yeah, we, did. We, we tried a lot of different alternative modalities. <laughs> well, and, and I think that's one of the issues that we find very often is parents are so frustrated because they're grabbing for everything they think 
could be the next miracle that could solve this, you know. And so right. by being a resource to be able to tell them, well, here's a good, for based, based on what you're saying, this might be a good avenue for it. This might be a good avenue versus just grabbing for it, you know, and money going out along with that, you know, as you go for every different modality. And like I say, we've tried a lot of different stuff. Yeah. Well, see, I think, you know, that would be um, a critical piece of the puzzle was, is, you know, what would work with, you know, the ch- matching the modality to the child, you know, to be able to, to address it properly. I would think that that would be the, the, you know, the most difficult aspect. And then I think that's probably where, where parents um, sometimes I would think that would be frustrating for parents, you know, trying one modality and not having it work and then just be frustrated and, and sometimes even giving up hope that there is anything that would work. Right. Yeah. And when, when we work with families, um, you know, we meet with the parents first and usually there's, um, you know, there's a particular child in the family that's presenting these behavior issues and challenges. And so kind of the first step is Don works with the parents doing the EFT, um, kind of clearing out their own baggage, you know, because as parents, mm-hmm. we bring our own stuff, and the kids, you know, can trigger stuff in us that's unresolved. Um, and so really <laughs> the first step of the program is really working with the parents um, and, and helping them. And then once they can, you know, be able to do that, you know, then it's a matter of then looking to the children. He does the EFT with the kids too, and also teaching the parents to help the children uh, to use these tools. Um, well, because like I said, it's about energy. And if you think about it, yeah. they think about it, the fact of, you know, if you come home one day and you're just, you've had, you know, road, you know, the traffic was bad and you're like, I used to, and I mean, this is part of what I used to go through is, you know, come home so uptight and angry or whatever that just spreads throughout the house because, you know, that energy matches. And so if we can change the parents' energy and the way they're handling things, the way they're communicating, sometimes that can be, that can have some big effect on, on the children and, and take away some of the, the issues before we even get to start with the kids. Yeah. Yeah. I, would, I mean, it's like you say, it's, it's all energy and, and everyone can, sense it you know children seem to be you know very sensitive you know to energetic uh yeah, energy yeah. And, and energetic shifts and that kind of thing yeah i don't think we I, sometimes i don't think we think as parents as much that they get they take in or get as much as we think they do that i think kids are really intuitive enough to to know what's going on, pick up on and yeah. pick up on things yeah in place, you yeah. know, if there's tension in the house, you know, they feel it. The tension, um, yeah. yeah, they may not know the cause, <laughs> but they know the feeling. That's for sure. Yeah. On the, so, the other part is they don't always know mm-hmm. what to do with it. That's the mm. that's the big thing. They take it in, and many times they put it on themselves instead of the parents. Yeah. Or they don't realize the parents have some issues going on. They just think oh, I must have done something wrong to get the parents this way. And so they tend to take it in themselves, which I, I see a lot in the, the adults that when we look back and they start realizing where some of the stuff comes from is what they took in as a child. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, because, uh, you know, as far as, you know, up to their, you know, their early years, I mean, they are the center of 
the world, you know, for the parents and, you know, for themselves and learning. So, you know, yeah. it's it's understandable that they might have that feeling. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So now what other, other than OCD, what other types of behavior or anxiety issues do you work with? Well, ADHD, ADD, mm. uh, you know, and I mean, really they're all around anxiety. So it's, it's it I mean, could manifest as a child having trouble at school or getting along with their siblings or, you know, following directions, listening to their parents, you know, any, any type of something that's manifesting as a behavior issue, whether it's withdrawal or acting out, you know, either, either end, but it's usually there's a sign that it's interfering in some aspects of, you know, school or socially, emotionally. Um, and so the parents typically reach out to us with any you know, any related thing. And anxiety is often a component of what you're looking at. Okay. So now what um, are some of the lessons, I guess you could say, that you have learned um, through that process that that would help families out there right now, you know, coping with um, a child, an anxious child? Okay. Um, well, I mean, communication is, you know, we, okay. we learn, I learned especially that I couldn't come at my daughter with the same energy she was putting at me. And I, and I did that. I mean, I, it took me a long time, uh, you know, quite a while to really learn that, you know, if, if he came at me roaring at me and I, and I turned around and got angry and roared right back that it just went off the, you know, we go off the chart. <laughs> Whereas when I, you know, was able to learn that I had to keep myself calm and keep myself in a good place, that she could still wear up some, but it wouldn't go half the, half the way up that it would before. And it really lessened my stress level, too, you know. So that was one big lesson is how to communicate. And, go, and along the that lines in communication, we do a communication workshop um, for parents. And it centers around listening. We spend a lot of time talking with kids. And if there's one thing that you can do with your children is sit down and tune out, you know, whatever else is going on and don't try to answer back anything they say, but really listen. Uh, Some kids Mm -hmm. just need to feel You could have an angry kid who comes home mad about something that happened and just being present and like, wow, you're really upset and just just kind of – Reflecting back, acknowledging that you hear them with very few words, that might be all they need. Um, we've, yeah. done, we've worked with parents, and they're like, wow, I couldn't believe. I just listened to what they said. And then they were like, oh, I'm going to do this. And they, saw, they figured out a solution, <laughs> and they ran off mm. content. Um, that, that, and really, with any relationship, you know, we need to spend more time listening. Well, that, that goes into uh, – I actually had an interview this morning with a, a therapist, and we were talking about it, and she said about empowering the kids to do this. And, I, and she's an OCD therapist. And, and that's what we, we talk about, too, is, is really giving the power back to the child to solve this, to get through this, because that's the way it'll, it'll work. We can't resolve it for them. Yeah, they've got to yeah. acknowledge that this is, um, this is an a problem. It's something I can work on. I can address it. Um, but it's really, they've got to be take on that process. And that's why it's really a lot harder in kids than adults. Um, because 
just their understanding of it and recognizing it. Um, the kids do know, like, this is crazy. Why am I doing this? They beat themselves up yeah. kind of thing. But it's a harder understanding for them the younger they are than an adult would have. Um, but it's really, yeah, about empowering them to realize, you know, we, we're going to help you through this. We're going to give you the tools. We're going to be right there with you. Um, but they've got to want to. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, and that's that's critical. I mean, that's what any parent wants is to be able to um, give their children the tools to cope, to cope with life and whatever it throws at them. Right. So, well, our, our hour is just about up already, so it kind of went by fast there, um, Don and Gina. So, if, if people want to get in touch with you, how first of all, what? What kind of services do you provide? And, and if people want to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Well, again, we're, we work on – we have a, a program on helping families to, to cope and, and to, uh, you know, take care of these behavior issues. And to get in touch with us, um, we have a website. It's uh, focused with an ET, healthyfamily.com. And all the information is up there, phone number, to, that they can get a hold of us. And Don works with clients one-on-one, just individually. We have a whole program we do with families, and then we also have a communication skills workshop we can do just even that by itself. Um, with a family, with a group for that matter, too. Um, well, great. Well, um, I do you know, hope people go to visit your website because you also have um, a lot of videos there, <clears throat> excuse me, videos and, and blogs and kinds of other types of information. So it's, it's very useful. So um, I want to thank you for your time today. I really enjoyed speaking with you. And hopefully we've helped parents out there who um, have uh, challenging children right at the moment. Agreed. I, we appreciate you taking the time to yeah, talk with yeah. us, and we too hope, yeah, anything we've said maybe helps the parent too. We enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. Thank you, Don and Gina. Again, everyone, today my special guests have been Don and Gina Grotoff, and we've been talking about uh, their business, which is Focused Healthy Family in OCD and Anxiety with Children. And again, as uh, they mentioned, you can visit their website, which is www.focusedhealthyfamily.com. And everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. To follow our show, visit our homepage at byteradio.me and select the platform you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light um, by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.